Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, today, I'm on the road, and I'm going to cover the news by myself. And after the break, we've got Phil, who uh, caught up with J.P. Price and his recent uh, squat, <laughs> huge squat. I'm almost sure this is in reference to his 455-kilogram squat, the 1,003-pound squat. I was actually looking on Reddit a little bit, and people were saying, this man squats you know, 900, 950 faster than anybody I've ever seen. So he's an explosive dude. Anyway, so Phil's going to be talking with JP after the break. I'm going to fill in the gaps a little bit, uh, and there's my segue with some science news. Um, Strength and Muscle Sport News. The first bit of news is from Lab Manager Magazine and the Institute of Food Technologist, and it's literally called Filling Nutrient Gaps in Specialty Diets. Now, I think some of this is a little obvious maybe to some of our listeners, but... Um, it talks about paleo, uh, high-protein, low-carb slash gluten-free diets, uh, vegetarian and vegan, and those lifestyles and what nutrients may be missing. Uh, it says, in the April issue of Food Technology Magazine, Linda Mila Orr writes about the nutrient gaps in these various diets. Uh, some of these things you may agree or disagree because I think a lot of this depends on exactly how you approach them. Uh, but, I mean, they're more or less correct uh, generalities. So on the vegetarian and vegan front, they suggest that they these diets may have more fiber, and I think that's sort of obvious perhaps, at least if you're actually eating vegetables and you're not one of those no-vegetable vegetarians, you know, that sorts of lives on cheese puffs. But uh, fiber and calcium, uh, I'm not sure I agree with that one entirely. I mean, if you're a lacto-ovo-vegetarian, Absolutely. Right, you're getting milk and eggs, and milk is where you get much more calcium than almost anything else. Um, and you know, calcium is good for things like blood pressure. It's not just about uh, your bones, <clears throat> but um, yeah. So I don't know about the calcium thing as much. Like I said, for vegans, I I, I don't think so. I mean, you'd have to eat bushels of broccoli uh, to equal a single cup of milk to get that like 300 uh, or more milligrams of calcium in a cup of milk. Anyway. Um, they also, for vegan diet, they suggest the following, and again, this may be something many of you already know, but uh, lower in vitamin D, B12, which only comes from animal sources, complete proteins, uh, omega-3 fats, uh, and iron and zinc as far as minerals go. So those are things that people who are vegans might want to consider supplementing. Uh, just a, a sidebar here, but vitamin B12, I would strongly suggest taking that sublingually, at first, I thought that vitamin, the molecule, was too big to absorb under your tongue in the gastric or the uh, you know sublingual mucosa there. But uh, you can. I found some studies that you you can absorb it. Uh, and I think the, the reason I'm saying that really, and I like that, is especially as we age, and it may be less true of the younger people, but uh, about one in five 
older people, they start to lose the ability um, to produce intrinsic factor, which is a substance in your stomach that helps you actually get the B12 into your bloodstream, into your body. Uh, so you're kind of bypassing that if you try to do the sublingual thing. I have a friend, Frank, who's a nurse, uh, does a lot of research with me and whatnot, and he's a huge fan of B12. And I actually take sublingual B12 myself. Um, there's always um, you know, background sort of rumors. It's, it's a little sketchier in the literature, but the B12 may help with energy levels and that sort of thing. Uh, the next diet was the high-protein, low-carb, slash gluten-free uh, genre. I know they're really mixing a lot of these together. Uh, they do say that if you go really high-protein, low-carb, and gluten-free, you could possibly be deficient in B vitamins. And I certainly believe that. A lot of consumers aren't familiar with the enrichment laws that we have in the U.S. I mean, if you're eating grain products, um, they are, they have vitamins and minerals sort of snuck in there. I mean, not literally snuck, but they're they're put in there. We have enrichment laws where the grains have B vitamins added and iron and that sort of thing. So if you're not eating any of that, you might have to think about where you're getting B vitamins. Now, the truth is a lot of meats because – the animals, the meat animals are higher up in the food chain. Uh, they're going to be pretty nutrient-rich, actually, in, in a lot of things. But having said that, I, I could see them saying possibly lower in, in B vitamin intake uh, and, and low fiber if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, I think we need to be very careful, though, because I've found myself defending high-protein diets for the longest time. And they are um, – high-protein diets are not – Big Mac diets, right? You can have a high-protein diet that's made of chicken breasts and broccoli on a plate, you know, sort of an old-school bodybuilder dieting thing, and that's not low-fiber at all. But I can see how if you're avoiding um, carbohydrates completely, fiber is a type of carbohydrate, and you might not get enough. Uh, the last one she talked about was paleo, and paleo has obviously gotten very popular uh, essentially, it's eating like a caveman. I think many of us know this. Lean meats, you know, seafood, nuts, fruits, veg, um, healthful oils even. Uh, but it excludes grains, perhaps, obviously. But even legumes and dairy, and those are two things that most nutritionists would not really like like you to avoid. Um, so uh, possible things that you might be missing with this. It says, nutritionists recommend supplementing with folate, B vitamins, calcium, and vitamin D. Now, again, this is the second time we've seen vitamin D. If you get enough sunshine right, on your skin, you can make vitamin D. Vitamin D is something your body makes. It's a hormone. It's not just a vitamin. Um, but anyway, uh, they're suggesting uh, those potential things uh, if you go paleo, the folate, B, other, other B vitamins, calcium, and D. The next bit of news, as I just march forward here, and this is also from Lab Manager. These guys, they're just a bevy of cool uh, recent findings. This one is called Fatty Diets Lead to Daytime Sleepiness and Poor Sleep. Now, this caught my eye because usually when we talk about daytime sleepiness, we talk about carbohydrate intake, right? You're a little bit carbohydrate intolerant. You get sleepy, food coma sort of thing. But at the University of Adelaide, researchers found that men who consume diets that are high in fat are more likely to feel sleepy during the day and report sleep problems at night. And I'll get to some of those in a minute. So it says, this is the result of the Men Androgen Inflammation Lifestyle Environment and Stress Study, the MALES study. And again, that also caught my eye because the androgen and the inflammation, those are things that are of interest to me personally personally. 
but anyway, uh, it says 1,800 Australian men aged 35 or more had their diet habits uh, recorded over a 12-month period. And uh, this is going to eventually be published in the journal Nutrients. But uh, in total, among those with available dietary and sleep data, 41% of the men surveyed had reported experiencing daytime sleepiness, uh, while 47% of them had po- uh, poor sleep quality at night as well. So 41% daytime sleepiness, 47% having problems sleeping at night. It says about 54% had mild to moderate sleep apnea. And I know some of our bigger listeners uh, deal with sleep apnea, those pauses in your breath at night. And, of course, the problem with that is you get a little bit of a background epinephrine or adrenaline response, and, you know, nobody wants – adrenaline while they're trying to sleep, so you end up with poorer sleep. And anyway, um, and 25% had moderate to severe sleep apnea, which was assessed by a sleep study. Usually I think they have them come into the lab. And so one out of four people with moderate to severe sleep apnea that didn't have any diagnosis of it in the past. It's interesting stuff. Uh, it says poor sleep and feeling sleepy during the day means you have less energy course. Uh, But this in turn is known to increase people's cravings for high-fat, high-carbohydrate foods, which is then associated with poor sleep outcomes. So it's sort of a vicious circle. Uh, So this diet sleep pattern, um, this uh, cow, uh, the researcher's name is Yingling Cow, C-A-O. But again, interesting that they're pointing the fingers at dietary fats. you know, the guys that have the high fat intakes having all of these daytime and nighttime sleep problems. And then just to turn you on to this labmanager.com, they're really getting aggressive with some of the studies, and many of them are pertinent to uh, our listenership. Uh, Here's a related article. I won't get into it, just to read it to you here, but losing weight with a high-protein diet can help adults sleep better. Interesting, right? Again, that's a very old-school bodybuilding technique, right? If you're going to try to diet, you up the protein. And then here's another related article, Sleep Loss Boosts Hunger and Unhealthy Food Choices. And again, back to that vicious circle, right? So you eat poorly, then you sleep poorly, and the poor sleep makes you eat poorly, uh, and you really need to break the cycle. Uh, A friend of mine, Chris Shugart, over at the Biotest website uh, and T-Nation, he had that velocity diet and different iterations of that. And I think the idea was instead of making little single dietary changes over the course of maybe a month or two or more, uh, he he does that, you know, let's just reboot. 30 days, we're just going to do protein shakes and that sort of thing. Uh, And I can see some value in that because of this vicious cycle, uh, frankly. Uh, at least for a lot of people. So labmanager.com, juicy source uh, of breaking news. I think that's relevant to our population. So I am on the road. I'm in Chicago again. So uh, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Phil is going to talk to JP. Uh, Maybe we can get some insights on uh, exactly what happened with his huge squat. You know, what that feels like. I can't even imagine what it feels like to have that much weight on your back. Uh, So that'll be cool. And... um, We'll go to break. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or 
who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You can simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hi, everybody. This is Phil Stevens. I am a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild, uh, GCUSF, amongst other things, as you guys know from the 372 times I've said this before, or however many it is. Um, today, Lonnie's on the road. He's going to add some news in here in a little bit, but we are going to get caught up with J.P. Price. J.P., thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. JP's been on with us before. Everybody probably knows who he is. And uh, JP's coming off a big meet where he went out and uh, became, what, the first American to walk out a 1,003-pound squat and crush it. That's, Did it twice. That is true. <laughs> I had to do it twice. That was, uh, after the first one, I, I was like, all right, well, I'll do that again. It's not going to be yeah. – uh, I'd rather it be 1025 or something, but we'll do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just so everybody knows what happened on the first one. So uh, out there, I was going against uh, Daniel Bell head-to-head, -head, who has the same total as I had going into the meet. And uh, Zaheer um, from uh, Azerbaijan by way of Finland. And uh, there are a couple monsters. And Zaheer was in the 308 class, and Daniel and I were in the super heavyweight class, but it was a money meet, so it was important to win. Um, 
So my first squat, I opened up with 948, which I'd done three or four times in training pretty easily. And uh, it was super easy. Um, got three white lights um, from the, the judges. I thought our, our flight was judged really well. I had heard uh, conflicting opinions on uh, the multiply flight and maybe uh, the ones before us, but I know ours is really good and and uh, and consistent from what I could see because I was sitting up there. But for the other ones, I just wasn't paying attention. Um, and then my second squat, so then Daniel, he went for 9.53 to uh, be two and a half kilos ahead of me, and he squatted high and missed it. And then uh, Zaheer opened up with 10.58, which is crazy on a first attempt. Oh. It was a all-time world record opener. He had done 1,100 in training. Um, it was high, it looked like, but, you know, obviously uh, he had a mission, and uh, he flew over 20 hours to complete that mission and <laughs> was there for a week, and uh, he totally had to dump the squat and kind of run out of it, and uh, he was falling backwards the whole time it was like in slow motion and i'm not sure why but daniel was on the platform uh, helping spot after his attempt and uh the bar uh landed on his hand Ooh. in the uh, support straps out of the mono lift and uh so he had 1058 on his hand and the initial report he was screaming and the initial report was that he had broken some fingers and uh, I didn't look or anything. I mean, it's, I you know, mentally I had to get ready for a thousand pound squat, so I tried not to let it affect me. And uh, so anyway, um, he ended up really only just hurting his pinky, and it wasn't that bad. And he continued. And uh, so my second attempt was a thousand three, and uh, I had Eric Cranage from uh, from old school old school iron. He's a, a big USPA guy out in California, and he was one of the referees for the day. And I got him set up to wrap my knees, and so we wrapped up, hit the platform for 1,003. It felt great. Um, it was kind of one of those deals where you're, like, so excited. Like, I don't really remember any of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I do remember I hit. I, I was going pretty slow because we were using a 55-pound bar, and it was shaking and oscillating really hard on me And uh, in training when I was prepared for this. And uh, they uh, – so I unrack a thousand three. I walked it out. It was really stable. It wasn't shaking at all. And I hit the hole with it. I thought I was plenty deep. I shot out of the hole really hard. And uh, people just kept saying, you know, you shot out of the hole like a rocket. And I shot out of the hole really hard. But I also have a tendency um, because of some shoulder mobility stuff. I kind of sometimes I'll, I'll helicopter into the hole mm-hmm. and the bar will spin a little bit. And then on the way up, it spun back out. Well, when I hit the top, right before I got the squat, or right before I got the rack command from the head referee, I stumbled. Mm-hmm. And I knew was, I'm a referee too, so I knew immediately that that was a red light lift, but I was still kind of celebrating like a jerk. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I was excited, I was like, well, I'll get that again, no problem. But I, I wish I would have gotten it because I think my third call, 1025, was definitely there, and it would have given me a, a really good shot at breaking uh, Ryan Hout's, uh 23 or, yeah 2393 so anyway uh uh my uh, third attempt i came back up and uh and uh i crushed it again and uh, the other two guys bombed out they were either high on all their attempts or uh, couldn't complete them and uh you know Jesse Burdick bombed and uh he missed because of depth three times and so it was kind of starting to look like a one-man race at that point if we were going by certain coefficient numbers. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so then we went into the bench, and uh, and then on the bench, I'm I'm good at the squat, and people know me for that. And then on the bench, um, I guess people don't realize it's that good, and I think it's because uh, it is 130 pounds or 120 pounds under the world record. Yeah, and so right. I think it's a little harder <laughs> because there's so many bench specialists, you know. But I'm uh, right now. I think I'm like uh, third or fourth in the USA in the bench in the super heavyweight. So that's a yeah, a six eleven bench is pretty world class. I mean, yeah. <laughs> especially for a full meat lifter. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, I think it's like one of the top eighty benches in the world um, yeah. ever. But it just doesn't get that much run because it's not number two in the world ever, like my squad. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, at super heavyweight, and so anyway, I opened with five seventy three. But right before my opener on my last uh, warm up at five twenty five, I got a really really bad cramps in both my elbows, and it like wasn't the bicep; it was the elbow, like right in the joint, you know, almost on the inside of the elbow. And uh, that was really unique because I'm used to elbow pain, but I'm not used to that cramping. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was the traveling or the walking or whatever. But uh, Jesse uh, Burdick actually helped me. He got some of those noon tablets, you know, the ones that fit. Yeah. And I just crushed a whole bunch of those and put them in a water bottle, and hopefully that helped out a little bit. And right after my opener, I smoked my opener at 573, and, uh, and then I crushed those tablets up and was drinking them. And then uh, I cramped in between attempts too, but Jeff Frank was there for my team, and he, uh, he kind of helped massage that out and just relax it as much as we could. And uh, he was controlling all the handoffs and all that stuff and calling all the numbers. And so then we went to 606. Um, now, on 606, the, the platform was a little bit slippery. It was like a uh, a low-quality carpet that kind of could move under your feet. Like, you could create a, uh, you could create a pretty big mark on it if you, like, were to rub your feet into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I use on my platforms, for me, it's like a really thick commercial grade, but it's really small nap. So anyway, on that uh, second attempt, the 606, my right foot slid a little bit, but I th- I think it might have been within the rules because um, a lot of rule books will say you can slide your foot two or three inches. So my right foot slid a little bit, um, but I, I only got one red light, so the 606 counted. But you you know me personally, Phil. Like I wouldn't want a non-legit lift to be counted for me yeah. ever. And that that would be the worst thing that could happen, in my opinion, is that I didn't do something, I got credit for it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we made a really small jump to 6'11", which I had actually missed two weeks before in training on a really bad day. Um, but that doesn't really affect me mentally on the bench and the deadlift like it would the squat. So we went up there. I was cramping a lot. I didn't want my feet to slide, so I kept them a little bit more flat, kind of like an athletic stance, I would say. And uh, my back was flat, I had no arch, <laughs> and I smoked it. <laughs> so I was pretty pumped about that. That was really good. Yeah. So I actually, I didn't know this until the next day. I, I'm pretty positive I'm the first guy in the world to ever squat 1,000 and bench 600 in the same meet. Oh, oh nice. So that was kind of cool. And then uh, with the deadlift, uh, you know, that's my wild card lift. I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. I don't know if my hands are going to hold the bar or not. And I've worked really hard on it with David LaMartino on my team and, and with Michael Greeno who did all my programming for the whole cycle. It's nice that I have all that stuff in-house now um, because they're lifters on our team and they're really good and and, uh, and they help me out a ton. And uh, 
So I started using the power bar in the off season to make my grip stronger and to do a lot of holds. And, uh, so anyway, I, uh, I opened up with seven, 17 or 16 and it was easy. And then, uh, we thought that Odell manual from Australia. Now, some of the meets down in Australia, they're not really sanctioned because they don't really have a rule book or a federation or anything. And one of the problems with that is that it becomes to not be recognized by powerlifting watch. Now, Mm-hmm. Some people think powerlifting watch is not important. I personally think that it's our only record books. It is important. Yeah. Um, unless you want to look into federation records, which is great if you want to set new world records every weekend. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, Odell Manuel had done 1075, but I thought he had only done 1070. So I called my second one 750 or 749 because that would put me two and a half kilos ahead of 1070. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> and I was stupid. I should have looked deeper. I did not. And uh, I ended up calling a number that gave me fourth all time gotcha. um, by two and a half kilos, which is unfortunate. Odell actually just competed earlier today in uh, Australia, but he uh, tore a muscle in his leg on his second squat. So he took a token deadlift, but uh, so his, his number didn't go up any, but um I uh, I ended up doing 750 pretty easy, and then uh, we were like, well, how often do you get a chance to beat Don Reinhout? And uh, (laughs) how often do you get a chance to go 2400? So we called 788 on the third deadlift, and there was really no pressure because I was pretty positive I was going to miss the lift, but I was also so excited I thought I had a chance. Yeah. And it shot up off the floor pretty good, and I thought I missed it just above the knees, but on the video I missed it more like three inches from lockout. Mm. And uh, it just started rolling out of my left hand, and 788 just wasn't going to go. But I might have had 771 that day. But uh, yeah. I ended up at 2365 or 64, and uh, it was uh, 1,072 and a half kilos. And uh, it was a really, really good day for me, and I won $5,000 for winning the meet. Yeah, that's uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> well, and it, that 749 deadlift, too, is. That's a good increase for you from not too long ago. Yeah, um, so the squat was a 28-pound yeah. PR from October, mm-hmm. and then the bench was an 11-pound PR, and then the uh, the deadlift was a 23-pound uh, PR. So that's pretty consistent yeah. for me. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can keep doing that all the time or not, but it worked out. Well, yeah, and when you're making 20-pound PRs when you're talking – the numbers you're putting up, that's huge. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, really at this point, I'm just lucky enough to take a step back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So now it's a huge day. Um, how many lifters were there total? Uh, there were four flights, but the flights were all under 15 lifters. So I would say it was probably more like 50. Um, there, it was kind of an invitational. So there were some really, really competitive lifters, but they also, at some point, you know, that you have to fill the meat a little bit too. And there was some high-quality lifting and some world records broken in the girls' side especially. Um, but uh, but it was uh, it ended up being not as well attended. Um, the reason for that is there's a lot of meets that are kind of getting the spotlight put on them right now, and I think it's cool. Um, it's good for the sport, but I, I think that a lot of the top guys are having to choose, and it's starting to become a hard decision. And, you know, it becomes about money somewhat, you know, and, yeah. And uh, I know I had to pay a lot on this trip, you know, five days of uh, hotel and 
you know, 800 and some dollars in airline tickets and, uh, and food while we were out there, which for me is real expensive. And, uh, <laughs> and I weighed in at, at 368, 369. And, uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where literally right in the same week, I had talked to Dan Green about doing his meet. I talked to Chad Smith about doing his meet in September. I talked to Marcos about doing a meet in Australia and all these things are just adding up. And then the, all the iron rebel sponsor guys are doing uh Las Vegas nationals, which I did two years ago. And it's a good meet for the USPA. And it's, it's hard because you really want to go where everybody's going, but you also have to decide, well, which ones make the most sense, you know? Yeah. But I think it's becoming cool to go head to head and people are starting to realize that people are cool. You can get out of your own backyard and, yeah. uh, and I just wish more people would do that. I just think it adds a lot more to it. And, you know, people who remember, I don't know who will remember it, but if somebody remembers my performance from last week, they're also going to remember that it was in San Diego, that the judging of my flight was good, that, yeah. you know, there was a $5,000 prize. It's going to be, you know, something that you look forward to remembering, not, you know, that I did it in Waynesville, like my last meet. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with doing it in Waynesville, but it's just, uh, you want to bring people together and get the same guys on the platform. And that's what the people had growing up. And that's why, you know, powerlifting could be on TV, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the huge meets. It, you, you know, you weren't the only big lifter there, <laughs> which you see happen a lot. Right. You know, so, no, that's a good thing. But we're going to get into some questions and, you know, what the future holds for JP, things like that. Now that we kind of covered the meet. Um, Let's do that first. I mean, where are you headed now? You know, what's the plans? What's next? So, you know, like number four all time. So yeah. So right now I'm ranked fourth all time, and it's it's difficult because you want to push the numbers, but I've been saying for two years that I also want to lose weight. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not to say you can't lose weight and be strong because here and Eric have proven that you can. And uh, but it does make it more difficult. I haven't been the most disciplined in the diet and. It's uh, it's almost like I you got to change what you're doing in order to actually make a real change. And when I first got into this three and a half years ago, it was wearing wraps, you know. Yeah. And I did my first meet and I squatted 650. You know, months later I had tremendous noob gains and I did your meet and I did 750. Yeah. And then from there I've just kind of added 25 or 50 every meet, you know. Yeah. And it's one of those things where in three years I haven't really changed and. I'd like to try other aspects of the sport and I don't really have time for single or multiply because it takes a lot more time out of your schedule. And there's just not a lot of meets for it really that, that I get excited about. And so, uh, I think I'm going to go in sleeves. Okay. And I'm pretty interested in that. Uh, I don't know if Josh Morris officially has it or not, but the world record in sleeves all time is, uh, it was 23 or 22 90 something. Um, it was Don Reinhout, and uh, then Josh Morris. He's at like twenty three oh three, which was my old total with wraps on. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, he's such a good bencher and deadlifter, and he's a very good squatter. And I'd really be interested in pushing that total with him. And so Chad Wesley Smith out in California um, invited me to a meet where he's just doing like fifteen lifters, period. And then there's like fifteen Olympic lifters for women, and then men. And last year it had like four or five hundred spectators in his gym. 
Oh, wow. And so they make it a really fun environment, and they're projecting about 700 spectators this year. And to add powerlifting to it, and Chad's going to be lifting, and I'm going to be lifting. And uh, so we're, you know, the two top American heavyweights right now. And then uh, and then also uh, Jake Johns is a really just freak big guy out of California, too, that Chad trains, and he's going to be lifting, and we're all three going to be in sleeves. And so uh, I look for, you know, a couple of us to squat over 900 in sleeves and two of us to bench over 600 and uh, two of us to hopefully three of us to deadlift 800. There you go. And uh, and so it should be really, really competitive and fun, and that's going to be in September. So the next thing for me is going to be in sleeves, and I feel like without that uh, pressure to squat 1,000 because I just really don't have any desire to – need to go higher than that right now, maybe later. Mm-hmm. I just think that uh, it'll be kind of fun to train in sleeves for a while and uh, and just go about it that way, because that's what I do anyway. I just haven't pushed it on singles or doubles. I've only done sets, you know, like I've done 775 for three in sleeves. I've done a really easy 800. I've done 865 um, right after a meet a year ago. So if I could do uh, over 900 in sleeves, I'd be pretty psyched about that. It's a pretty cool club to be in. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's in September? Yeah, so that's the next meet for me, and uh, hopefully instead of weighing in around 368 or 9, I'll go the way that Chad's going, which is uh, come in closer to, you know, 330. Okay. So. Nice. Sounds like a good one, man. So, yeah, yeah, fun. It's uh long term, then what are you looking at? Are you even, you're even worried about that yet? I mean, do you look past that meet? No, not really. I mean, yeah. long okay, so long term, I guess. I'd like to perennially have a, you know, 2000 total um which I think I can do for a long time. Mm. And uh and keep uh keep my body weight between uh ultimately long term, I think with what I carry around and you'd know this better than a lot of people listening, but with what I carry around if I'm 369 now, I think that uh, I could I could be 280 to 310, yeah, and uh, and feel like I'm you know a slob. Yeah, you could easily hold 300 well. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, and that, not a lot of people can say that. Yeah, you know? and then that gives me the opportunity to compete in 308, and then to cut a little bit to 275 if it's fun. Yeah. And uh, I also think that uh, I'd really like to do strongman. I got we ordered a, I got a 12 inch log now, and I've okay. done a 420 log press on a eight inch log before about a year ago and I only press overhead like once every few months but I'd like to push my log and then I'd also like to uh push the uh, strongman deadlift with the straps on I just get a lot mm-hmm. of carryover from it and I know it doesn't really help my hands that much but it, it does help your confidence a ton and yeah because I used to not be able to pull that much you know despite my hands you know yeah. and uh so now I can do over 800 in straps and I know that's not very elite in the strongman level, but the log press certainly is. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. That'd be that's something that I want to look forward to and and train a bit. Yeah, and strongman too. I mean, you can you can be mediocre at one lift and still do very well. Right. <laughs> that's the neat thing about. The, I don't. I don't. I don't ever think three. I'm going to be good at strongman. I'm way too short. I'm. I'm only. Yeah. When people meet me, they always think I'd be a lot taller or whatever. Yeah. But uh, actually, the first time somebody met me and said. Uh, they said you're short. I thought you'd be a lot shorter. And uh <laughs> I mean really I'm like five eleven. So. Yeah. 
But people start thinking super heavyweight, so they're thinking six five. Right. You know, yeah. So, so I'm not going to be as good in a lot of the events. You know that those guys are going to be good at like uh, all the leverage events. You know, and the stones and stuff like that. Yeah. What do we got questions wise, man? Yeah. So I get on Reddit a lot, and uh, I just think it's a fun powerlifting community for me because most of the guys are pretty smart and cerebral, and there's a lot of young guys there. There's some old guys and. It's funny because I'll go places and they'll, rec- you know, say, hey, oh, yeah, you're on Reddit. I really like reading your stuff on Reddit. And sometimes I'm like kind of the the jerk in the crowd, like where everybody's being nice. And I'll be like, nah, man, that sucked. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then sometimes I'm helpful, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, and you know me, I don't consider myself a coach or anything. And yeah. but I do know what I'm talking about. And uh, I'll give yeah. them I won't lie to them and I won't give them, you know, any mistruth. And and sometimes I'll give them a savvy answer that's, you know, a little bit more. Um, something you might not have thought about or something I gained from experience. So I knew I was coming on today. So yesterday I put in the daily thread that I wanted to see if they had any questions. And I got like eight really good ones. Um, and I'd like you to comment on them too. So For sure. this one's uh, pretty easy here. Uh, I deadlift a little wider than most. Mm-hmm. And uh, Markers920 said, uh, wide stance, conventional, conventional deadlift like Brian Shaw um, mobility work for bigger guys, prehab joint work, and uh, then they want to make sure I post a link when this comes out. So when it comes to the wide stance conventional deadlift, I don't go quite as wide as Brian Shocks. I'm not as tall as he is, but uh, it's kind of a funny answer. The way I, the reason I go a little wider than I used to is, uh, frankly, because I need room. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like, you know, like uh, – uh, Josh Morris, I watched him deadlift, and he's a, always deadlifting over 800 pounds, and he's shorter than I am and and uh, wider than I am at about a 400-pound guy. And uh, so I started deadlifting a little bit wider, and it really worked out a nice groove for me. I think it's more of a football stance, and, mm-hmm. and at, at the bottom of the lift, it allows me to get my air a lot better because I just can't get the air at the top and then bend down and get the lift. Mm-hmm. So and then I also developed a little bit of a rolling technique where I can really get my butt down and engage my quads because that's my strong part. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's a lot of the people do that and they don't realize um deadlift is one of those lifts where extra body weight just doesn't always help. Right. Um and it can screw up your setup. The the one meet like I was up there at Burdick's place when I just missed 800. Mm-hmm. Um no belt and the I weighed in at like 2 58 or 260 I don't remember um then I went to a meet a couple years later and it was the first one I filled out the 275 class I was actually about 283 weighed in at 275 and uh it was just it was hell getting set up you know with that extra 20 some pounds right and so you know you end up widening stance and it also has to do with build you know you've got you've got squatters levers mm-hmm. so you know use them right <laughs> you know so. One time uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, when I was skipping a lot of workouts, which I don't do anymore very often, <laughs> but uh, I was skipping a lot of deadlift workouts because it was the last workout of the week and I, was, I wasn't into it. And yeah. uh, people got to understand, you know, all these heavyweights that squat way more than they deadlift, well, we've squatted since we were playing football in high school and we usually pick mm-hmm. up deadlifting at about 25. Yeah. So I've deadlifted for you know, 13 years less than I've trained since I was 12. I deadlifted 13 yeah. years less than I've squatted. Um, so, uh, the next question he had in there was uh, mobility work for bigger guys and prehab joint work. And 
to be honest with you, I don't do a whole lot of prehab. I've always been able to, you know, put my knuckles on the floor when I'm standing straight up and, mm-hmm. and, uh, cause I'm a caveman and, uh, <laughs> I've, I've always been able to do that. I've never been able to sit cross-legged or Indian style. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the hips for it. And that's why I don't do anything sumo ever or a wide squat. It just, I feel like my, my bands and my legs are just going to snap. Um, I do uh, go to get massages every once in a while. We've got a guy on our team, Jeremy, who's a great massage therapist. I go to him, uh, especially like before meets and after meets, just to really, really help me out. And he works on the areas that he knows we need mobility in because he's a lifter too. Um, and then I also, uh, I go to the chiropractor. I go to KC North Spine and Joint up here, and they work with a lot of my teammates. And we do a lot of Graston and uh, a lot of um, – dry needling there. And, uh, I feel like those are really, really good speedy recovery tools that help me recover faster or get movement in when I'm, you know, not in a good position to, to, uh, to tax myself or to, to do it myself. And, uh, and they get a lot of really good work in like my elbows and my knees and my lower back, especially. I think a big part of that for you too, is you spend like there's no question on your squat that you go to depth. You don't spend a lot of time messing around at like trying to just hit parallel. Right. I mean, every day of your training is full range. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, you do, you don't get overly tight. So, and I think that's a lot of the issues you see in people is, you know, they're spending a too much time uh, in limited range of motion moves and, and things like that, and they they get a little tight. But um, I agree with that. I was warming up at the meet last week and. Right when I started, even with the bar, I could hear behind me just the people like, uh, oh, wow, he gets down there, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then after the meet, it's like, you know, somebody would say, yeah, I can't remember who said this. It was somebody that uh, was a bigger name person was saying, uh, well, and if you're getting down there with 370, what's, you know, when you're holding 370, what's everybody else's excuse? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yep. So. Um, the next question, let's see here. I thought this one was interesting, and it's kind of right up my alley and your alley because I think this is something we're really good at. How can normal, everyday lifters enhance the powerlifting community and increase cohesion? Everybody talks about how fractured the sport is and good versus bad federations, etc. Mm. But what are the smaller overlooked factors that people can do every day to make the sport better? And that's from Black Angus 1. And... uh in my opinion, when I got into the sport three and a half years ago, I knew I was new, but I also knew I cared. I also knew I was strong, and I've always felt like a leader, whether it was playing football or wrestling or whatever. Um, so whenever I'm in a group of people, usually I'm going to try to – I don't even try. just like you start to become their leader, right? <laughs> and uh, and so uh, it's like the bad guy and the minions. They always attract themselves to the bad guy. <laughs> and uh so you can tell I got kids, right? Um, so uh no what what I did for that, you know, and I think it's easiest to affect the people close to you and then hopefully you can reach out a little bit beyond that. You know, maybe I did that a little bit squatting a thousand pounds to depth. Um but we just set an example in our gym and everybody follows it. Uh Ben Moore, my training partner, sets an example of how we work in the gym and you know, how you can do this for a long time and be smart. And then we've got a whole bunch of veteran lifters now that do that. We used to not have a lot of veterans, but we've attracted them over time. And so we started building that community in our gym with our squat depth, for example. 
with having good discipline. Um, I realized immediately that I needed to get more involved and we wanted to host meets because we hosted a couple really bad meets that weren't our decision at our gym. Um, a couple years ago, um, not talking about your deal, but, uh, the, uh, so I, I decided, okay, well, the strongest one in my area in Missouri, I mean, there's like eight or 10 USPA meets a year that are all filled mm-hmm. and it's, it's very strong in this area. So yep. I got mentored by Rodney Wood, the state chair, and he wanted me to become a referee. Well, now two years later, I'm getting three of my guys to become officials too. Mm-hmm. Right. And that starts to permeate the community. Everybody in our gym knows the standards really well because I feel like I'm really good at enforcing them. Um, and so that was one thing that we did. And so when you're in our gym or you think of our gym, I think people think of really clean lifts, really respectable lifters. I think Jeff Frank is one of the most respected multiply lifters for the way that he lifts. I think that, you know, I always say that I'm nobody knows me because I do hokey crap on the internet. They know me because I squat well mm-hmm. and I do it to standard and they don't have to worry about, you know, when they hear it, they're not going to say, well, I need to see the video so I can see if it's yeah. crappy or not. Yeah. And I think that's the way that we affect the community in our area. Also, I'm critical online sometimes and people feel that's negative or positive. If they squat high, they feel like it's negative. If yeah. they squat the standard, they think it's positive. Um, you know, I'm big on that, and but I think the overall vibe is that I can do that without being a jerk. Yeah, and I think no, I agree, and I think everybody can, but I just think that you have to have some tact and act like you truly care about people. You know, um, even if you don't. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, I think in person it's funny because I met all these people I've never met, but I known all of them online last week, and everybody was super cool in person. Yeah, you know. And that's how you start to break down those barriers where you can talk about squat depth. You can talk about getting out of your federation and into another one to uh, have better competition. And I think that that's, that's really the way forward is just to be involved and then to branch out. Yeah, and lead by example. I mean, like you said, I mean, you don't. And even online, it's just not blowing smoke up somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's one thing online that I hate worse than, than almost anything is Somebody puts up a video and all you see is, hey, you know, boom, great job, whatever, smoke, you know, all they, they just blow smoke up people's ass right. instead of giving some actual constructive criticism. And we're in a day of age where everything's so PC. It's like, yeah, some people get pissed off at that. But it's like, dude, I'm generally trying to help you. You know, I'm not going to tell you great lift when right. it sucked. You know, I'm right. going to tell you what to do and try not to be a dick about it, but I'll be frank. And, uh, but I'm the same way with people in my gym. I mean, if, if somebody's in my gym and they squat high, I'm going to tell them, dude, that sucked. You squatted high. Let's do it again. Well, I always, you know, you're not, <laughs> I always, people always say that like, could I have integrity? But it's like, it's not about that. It's not about that at all. Like you don't have to make this something that's so special, you know, yeah. uh, at our gym, when somebody squats high, cause it happens, you know, every yeah. week when somebody squats high, they look over at you, you know, whether you're me or one of our other guys or girls, and they just look at them and they say, yeah, that was high. And it's just like yeah. telling somebody that they had a booger in their nose and that it's courtesy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> not a slap like, in yeah. the face. No, it's like fix it, let's keep doing it. You yeah, know? yeah. So. on the next set, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. um, and because That's of that, when we go to meets, my lifters never bomb, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I can't remember the last time one of them bombed. Now, knock on wood, they're in meets the next couple of weeks. But um, <laughs> this guy, a rough swami, asked uh, – 
it'd be interesting to know how you trained early on in your lifting career and how that's changed. Um, did you start with less specific exercises and higher reps? Also, I like hearing the general athletic training background of uh, elite lifters. Well, uh, so growing up, I played football. I played, uh, I wrestled. Um, I played football in college at a small school in Atchison, Kansas, Benedictine. And uh, I started there for a few years. I did, I did well. Um, but I'm a short lineman, so, no, you know, that's why the small school thing, you know, no big schools want a short lineman. So um, I came in. I've always been strong. In high school, I remember my freshman year, when I was 14, I'm a young, I'm a young guy, uh, for high school, I was 14, my, or yeah, 14, my whole freshman year. And I graduated at 17 and, uh, my freshman year, I could do like 225 on the bench and 315 on the clean or 225 on the clean. And we never deadlifted. Uh, and then on the squat, I think I did 405. And then my sophomore year, we did weights for nine months, you know, three, three days a week, um, in school. I went from 225 to 315 on the bench and the clean, and my squat went to 530. And we never, we didn't test maxes very often. It was always like three or five reps or pyramids or whatever. And then in the off season, I was always in the gym doing like bodybuilding stuff. I went to a bodybuilding gym in the area. And uh, then in college, I remember my freshman year, we always got strong in the winter, and I didn't work very hard at it, just like I don't work that hard at it right now. But, um, I didn't work that hard at it, but I was consistent and, uh, I always, you know, did everything they asked me to do. And my freshman year, I squatted 615 and bench 455. And, uh, those are still records up there, I think, but, uh, I never ever pressed beyond that. And then after college, I trained in a garage gym with one of my professors in the college named Dr. Madden, who probably singly had the most effect on my training life ever. And, uh, he was a very disciplined guy. He's got six or seven kids and would get up and, and we'd train together at four thirty in the morning. Cause that's the only time that he had. And we were out in the, out in the garage and sometimes the bars were so cold that it felt like it was ripping your hands apart. And sometimes we set them in front of the kerosene heater and they were so hot that we'd burn our hands. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought that that was probably the most important time I ever spent in the gym. Uh, and that was right through my years of like being 23 to 26. And I played some rugby in there too. Um, and, uh, so anyway, that's how I trained when I was younger. And, uh, I don't know what program we were doing. I don't know what it was called. I never will. Um, but it was something that he found and he was a philosophy teacher and he was super smart. So he put all that together. I think it was a mix of like, uh, conjugate stuff and five, three, one and, and, uh, and all that kind of jazz. And then sometimes we do strongman or, you know, we do, uh, Ross, uh, Ross training, the boxing training guy. We do some of his body weight stuff for periods of time to get in better shape. And so anyway, I would just do whatever he wanted to do. I didn't care. <laughs> well, I think you hit a good point there though. I mean, one thing that people miss is they look at you now and I've had people do the same thing with me. It's like, I want to be that. Well, you can't forget the 20 years before it. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's what everybody, everybody, you know, you see a 16-year-old kid and he wants to be an elite power lifter. And he doesn't understand the base put in before of just doing stuff. Right. You know, I spent a lot of years, I ran a lot. I climbed ropes. I did this. I did that. I did strongman. I did, you know, and all that led to stuff later. You know, 
So, I mean, there's a there's a good place. I mean, like, the first thing I'm going to do with my son is he's going to get into gymnastics. Right. That's what mine is right now. That's, yeah, that's not my ultimate goal for him, right. but it teaches him how to move. It gives him a good base, and, you know, so. Ultimately, uh, I want my kids to be able to be told what to do and say, yes, sir, no, sir. Yeah. And it's my responsibility to put them in front of people to say that, too, that are going to make them better without them having to ask questions. Yeah. And uh, and that's the position I was put in. <laughs> I, I had seniors in high school that when I was a freshman, they knew I was going to be strong, and they made me come to weights. And I wanted to be there. I wanted to feel like I belonged. And uh, as a fat young kid, it gave me a source of confidence. And uh, that's why I got in the gym at 12, because I was getting too short and too fat. And then I shot up like 10 inches in height, <laughs> and then I could move, you know? Yeah. And uh, and so anyway, I uh, I recommend any of that stuff I talked about, the wrestling, the rugby, all the, yeah. all the rough sports, all the – getting told what to do. I think that's all great. Um, it's just funny now looking back at it that I never thought of it to get me strong. I just wanted to be a yeah. player and I wanted yeah. to look better and, uh, I wanted to have traps, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, lots of shrugs, lots of shrugs. And, uh, so anyway, I, uh, I just look back at that now and whenever I get asked by anybody 14 to 18, and there's a lot of those guys on Reddit, uh, one of them asked last night, you know, he's like, Hey, I deadlift 500 pounds. I'm 18. And I want to do 800 pounds. And uh, I said, well, do everything you can now because you're only 18 once. Mm -hmm. And if I could have that back, if I could give people their years from 14 to 19 or 22, they would pay millions. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. that's when you're at the best. You, it's yeah. No drug can do it. No, nothing can do it. When you're 14 to 19, you are at your best. And uh, you can gain so much. And so... All of them, I just say, you know, do that. And then also, they wonder about, you know, the elite of the elite, the biggest, baddest, strongest guys. And so then there's a certain point where they argue with you about the work that goes in and how good they can get. And then I have to say, well, what's your dad look like? Yeah. What's your mom look like? Well, yeah. my mom was in gymnastics and, and good at that, and my dad is six foot four and he weighs 300 pounds. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> if your dad doesn't look like that, you know, I'm not that yeah. tall, but my dad's a monster, you know, and yeah. some of that's yeah. genetic and I was born with that. And, and, uh, so anyway, that's just, that's how you explain that. And yeah. this, uh, this next, this one is, uh, this is one of my most, uh, favorite questions that I was asked here. Three strengths said, uh, powerlifting is a life philosophy. I want to more, I want to hear more powerlifters share what drives them to do what they do. Gosh, as a coach, this is probably the most frustrating thing to you, uh, because you you have a hunger and a thirst for people to want to be the best version of themselves. Yeah, you know that's that word uh, magnanimous, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to use big words. I'm not trying to be smarter than I am. But when you see somebody walk in, and a lot of times you can tell that they've got pain behind their eyes or they're depressed or mm -hmm. they're happy, but need more discipline or they're settling for less in their life than they, you know, could get, or they have confidence issues or, you know, it's hard for them to meet girls or guys or whatever. Um, we've had people come in and I just thought that weightlifting is a thing for almost all of them that could make them better at what they're lacking yeah. For me, like I said, it gave me confidence. You know, I was very not confident when I started lifting weights. 
all of a sudden I started getting confident. I hit my growth sport spurt. And now all of a sudden I'm talking to ladies and I'm homecoming king. You know, it's this weird, and I don't want to like give it a false advertisement, but that's what it did for me. Now, it didn't make it so that people were attracted to me because I was strong. It made it so that they were attracted to me because now I was a person that could vocalize how I felt and make yeah. friends and be confident. And uh, it's just cool to see people come in that are even 25 and they work at a bank and things just aren't that great you know it's just it's good but it's just a little vanilla right mm -hmm. well now they come in they've moved to a new community now they've got community they've got friends they can come somewhere three or four days a week where there's people they know that they can share their frustrations and also their great stories with yeah and we all look forward to that um there's people to give them a hard time which everybody needs there's mm -hmm. people that are thicker skinned where you can get your frustration out in a safe way. Um, and it's just funny. Like I've seen guys that grew so much confidence, you know, and, and, uh, and grew so much in their abilities and then they get stronger too. And then they yep. learn to compete on the platform. Like the reason I got into the sport was because I was coaching wrestling and I was with a really competitive team and they were really good and it was really fun. And then the kids I was coaching kind of graduated and they brought in a new coach that, was really good with heavyweights and they didn't really need me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was having my first son and now I have two. And it's one of those things when I stepped away cause it was probably more convenient. But then about a year later, my wife said, well, you're, you're miserable without competition. You need something to do. And that week I met a guy that uh, wanted me to lift weights and his name was Ben Moore. <laughs> and uh, it's crazy how that works out, you know? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that's my philosophy on that. I know I rambled or went in different directions, but gosh, it's so important to me um, that you tap into those things. And maybe you find that in somewhere else besides powerlifting or besides lifting weights. But gosh, it sure is a good place to start for a lot of people. Yeah. And you see everybody grows. And it's much more, like you said, it's much more than the physical strength. You know, I don't know how many women we've had walk in that their life changes 100%. Just from lifting. How frustrating you know? is it? How frustrating yeah. is it when you see them being the best version of themselves, and they're consistent, and they're there every week, and then they drop off? Are things yeah. good at home or bad? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not, you know. It's yeah. uh, and it becomes clear. And so sometimes our lifters get you know frustrated with me because uh, because they think that I'm being a, a douche or whatever if I call them out on not being around or whatever. Mm -hmm. I know other things get to be more important, and this is a hobby, but guess what? It makes you better at a lot of other things in your life than just yeah. lifting weights. If yeah. you can be consistent and show up. Well, especially if you're part of a team. Yeah. You know, you learn to be part of a team, and you're consistent, and it's just, it it bleeds into all aspects of your life. You know, just not just the camaraderie, but the, right. the discipline, and the, you know, you learn a lot under the bar. Yeah. Um, that, that bleeds into life. Absolutely. And that segues this uh, question from Polly Wally. It was uh, balancing work family and being an elite lifter uh, would be super interesting to hear about. Well, you just said it. When you're better at that, you're better at everything else, too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for example, I was looking at all the reports for work uh, this uh, Friday when they came out. And this is the first training cycle where I've ever not missed a workout. Mm -hmm. And were my results better? <laughs> now the funny thing is is my work results were also the best they've ever been yeah. I'm up 11% in my sales for the whole year so far 
Yeah. So it's funny how that works where it all balances out. So, um, <laughs> you, you got to become consistent. You've got to be somebody that looks forward to being there. You got to have a plan when you go in there. Um, and the best story I can ever, ever talk about when it comes to this is, uh, because let's be honest, you hear a lot of, um, issues with people and their spouse at home or their, their mate or their, uh, boyfriend or girlfriend and why that they're affected in the gym, especially if they're not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, so my son, Jay, who's one was born on Thursday and on Friday, I said to my wife, Jenna, who competes in powerlifting a little bit, trains on her own at five in the morning, five days a week. Um, super committed. She's done CrossFit. She's competed in that. She played mm-hmm. soccer in college and, uh, she's very supportive. And so, uh, we were in the hospital and I said, what's the plan for this weekend? And she said, well, on Sunday you squat at one. <laughs> yeah. And that's a huge one. That's what I was going to get into. It's, it's also just finding that person that understands it, right? you know, and, and people uh, wouldn't have shown up for a month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And your wife knows that it, it makes you better all the way around by, by, by getting in there. You know, if you missed a month, you'd have been miserable, which would have bled into the rest of your life. You know, it, it's just better to take that hour, two hours, whatever it is. And it, 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 it makes the rest of your life better. Right. So. Right. Well, uh, I think there's really one other, there's one last question we had here. Um, we've really hit on this one from, uh, Ja Rude 87. We didn't have any really fun names today. That's a disappointment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, he said he loves iron radio. So shout out to you, buddy. Oh, thank you. Um, he said he's curious about success factors inside and outside of training. You know, I already think that that's, uh, that's been hit. Um, we, oh, we do have a funny name. Rage Lettuce Turbo. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, um, the, uh, he said he's interested in hearing about what kinds of goals you set and how you choose programming to meet them. Specifically, I'd be interested to hear what kind of volume, frequency, and intensity you choose to strengthen your main lifts over time. I think that really the the only way I can answer that, because I am not a training, uh, I'm not a programming nerd. I'm not good at it. I don't know anything about it. I never studied it at all. I'm good enough to be dangerous, um, but I'm also good enough to find people that are smarter than me to do it for me. So I I have a a lifter in our gym named David LaMartina, who's the smartest, most consistent power lifter I know. And because of that, I asked him to do a hypertrophy program for me. I know I needed a bigger, more conditioned muscle that wasn't going to get tired as fast. A year ago, I would have had a really hard time doing 2,000-pound squats in one meet. Mm-hmm. So I think that was addressed. I did that for eight weeks when I had a 20-week training cycle, and that's what I'm doing again because it worked. Mm-hmm. It gets a little scary in the middle because you lose a lot of your top-end strength because you're not peaked all the time, but you're also not getting hurt. Yeah. You're getting healthier, which mm-hmm. I think is what you see a lot of times with people who are always peaked and you compete too often, you're going to get beat up. So I choose two meets, and I peak for those. And then I take a break in the middle, and then I come back, and I start to peak. Now, in part of that peak for uh, 10 weeks, the first half of that, I'll do a lot of overload with, like, a reverse band set at the top end or something of that nature. Or on the bench, I'm doing some slingshot work. On deadlift, I'm using straps for overload, maybe doing some block pulls. Um and then slowly as it goes on, you cut out that volume and add the intensity to where we're doing singles and doubles only. 
And then you're starting to get that peak top end strength back and you're trying to sit there for about five weeks and figure out what your attempts are without redlining it. Mm-hmm. So that's how my philosophy works. I don't know if that's the correct way or not, but um, if I had to change anything, it would be to uh, this training cycle. I would like to hit the gym with a purpose, not talk to everybody for an hour before I get started because <laughs> it's a waste of time. I only train for about three hours on Sunday, two hours on Monday, two hours on Wednesday, and if I'm lucky, two hours on Friday. I do not train very long, don't train very often, and I bench on, or I squat on Sunday, I bench on Monday, I deadlift on Wednesday, and then I have an optional bodybuilding and bench day on Friday where I'd like to do more strongman. And uh, the thing that I need to change is I need to get in with a purpose because I don't have time to do my accessories very often. Yeah. And uh, I know that I get a ton of main work, main lift work in because my warm-ups are like 10 sets long. But uh, but anyway, I think that's the number one thing that I have to change to get better. So um, anyway, that's how I answer that question. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's number one's consistency, <laughs> you know. And then the main problem I've seen is just people trying to stay peak too long. They think they need to push the strength way too long. And, yeah, what happens is they get hurt. You know, it's okay to back off and and not go 90% all the time, 80% even. You know, come down, it's all peaks and valleys, man. And you see the the lifters that are out there longest, that's what they're about. And they, they don't take a they don't take a two-year run at this. You know, it's it's a 10-year stride, you know, to see to see true, you know, people do truly well. It's nobody, hardly anybody remembers the person that came in and did it once. You know, it's going in there and doing what you've been doing. And, you know, over three years, you can see you, you started out good. I mean, 750, 800, 850, 900, 1,000, you know. Right. And it's that stuff that gets remembered. It's this guy who's done it for three, five, ten years straight. Mm-hmm. Um and you're a consistent champion, you know, and so. Well, yeah. and so I guess in other ways, I mean, we talked about lifting since I was 12. Well, I didn't get into a meet for, I'm not saying everybody should wait 16 years to do their first meet, <laughs> but uh, it worked. Like, you know, you wish you could yeah. tell somebody to lift weights for 10 years and then do a meet, but nobody yeah. do that. Um, yeah. but, uh, but it worked out. I just didn't know that's why I did it. Um, you know, and then about injuries, he also said, uh, how do you build a course, a uh, total over the course of years and, And how do you deal with setbacks like injuries? Well, you know, for me, I don't really get injured. I mean, I've had little things, but, you know, one of my best traits as a a pretty good lifter is I know when to walk away. Yeah. And I don't ever push it. I don't ever push through pain except a little elbow pain when I'm peaked out. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really good at walking away, and I'm pretty good at – and not putting myself in a spot to get injured or, or kind of knowing after this much time what hurts me and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I think I've been really good at that, and I think that's kept me in the game for a long time. Plus, my training age is super old, you know, Yeah. Um, for how, young, how how old I am. I'm 31. And mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, I uh, I think that answers that pretty well. But uh, yeah, for sure. there's also uh, – he, he asked a bunch of questions in here. I guess when you have a name like Rage Lettuce Tomato Turbo, you got a lot on your mind. <laughs> I frequently see you reflecting on the importance of integrity and powerlifting with regards to squat depth and judging, and I really have so much respect for that. I think it would be cool to have such big names as yourself talking about that and spreading the gospel of the good lifts. Well – I think that that's, again, you start that in your gym and then you let that permeate outside of it. Now I've had the opportunity to go do that in Vegas and in California now. And, and, uh, 
there's just no other way to do it for me. It's it's the only way there is. So, um, just be honest with yourself and your team and the people around you. And, you know, if we were like that about everything, we'd be able to criticize everybody about everything, but they don't take that too well. Yeah. That's the only thing you can do as far as that, dude. All you can do is lead by example. Because other than that, it's just nothing but pissing matches, and it's not worth it. (laughs) Oh, there's so much infighting and BS. All you can do is just go out there and do it right yourself and hope other people see it and and they they follow your example. Well, and when you see guys like Dan Green and Andre Milanichev and and Kevin Oak and and Jeremy Hamilton or really anybody at the top, they travel around, they'll go to different meets, they'll go against anybody, they'll hit standards in any federation, they'll walk out or not, you know? I I wish it was to the point where I didn't have to prove a point by walking out. Yeah. You know, like, what if I wanted to do a meet with a mono and I don't want to walk out? Well, I feel like I can't because I'm trying to hold a higher standard. Yeah. And I wish it was to the point where it was just like, no, like, I'll go there and do that, then I want you to come here and do this. But they're not going to come here and do this. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a little frustrating in a way because it's, uh, I just wasn't raised to be somebody who backed down, you know, like yeah. that. And I wasn't a tough kid growing up, but I grew up tough enough to kind of know that there's some things I'm not willing to budge on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll call it there, man. It was a good show. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks for letting me be on it and share all this. Of course. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm psyched. I- I'm psyched to do something different. I think that, uh, it takes some of the pressure off, you know, I don't really, I get excited by the pressure, I don't really get scared or fearful of it, but it's nice to know, like, I think it's going to feel light when I'm in there trying 900 instead of 1,000, you know? <laughs> um, it's a big difference in how the bar pins yeah. and moves and, and all that different stuff, and I think it allows me to put a little bit more pressure on my deadlift, too, which is probably good for me. For sure. For sure. Well, we'll, we'll catch up with you again, bud. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Phil. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. 
If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.